Now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and behold, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. When Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, Woman, you are freed from your disability. And he laid his hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. But the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, There are six, six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, not on the Sabbath day. Then the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the major and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? As he said these things, all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. He said, therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden. And it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I pair, compare the kingdom of God? It's like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. He went on his way through towns and villages, teaching and journeying toward Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, Strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I don't know where you come from. Then you will begin to say, We ate and drank in your presence, and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I don't know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. When you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves cast out. And people will come from east and west and from north and south and recline at the table in the kingdom of God. And behold, some are last who will be first and some are first who will be last. This is Luke chapter 13, verses 10 through 30. Well, I want to thank Elise for reading today, and uh, that, that's quite a scripture, so uh, let's just dive right in. Uh, Luke chapter 13, verse 10, now he, Jesus, was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, and um, as we've journeyed through the book of Luke, this isn't the first time we've seen Jesus uh, in a synagogue on the Sabbath. He's done it regularly, oftentimes healing people. In Luke chapter 4, verse 44, it says that he was preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So this was commonplace. Uh, a synagogue, of course, is not a temple. It's not a place where they did the ceremonies and the sacrifices. But it was like a local gathering of Jewish congregants uh, that were coming around to uh, hear about and study the word of God together. And so here's the question, and please don't answer, please do not answer out loud, okay? But if you, if you think about it, if you would have been in that synagogue on that day over 2,000 years ago, what do you think Jesus would have been teaching about? It says he was teaching 
in one of the synagogues. So uh, while you're thinking about that, uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 42 says, And when it was day, he, Jesus, departed and went to a desolate place, and the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. But he said to them, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God in other towns as well, for I was sent for this purpose. Luke 6.20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. And then in Luke chapter 8, verse 1. Soon afterward, he went through the cities and villages, proclaiming and bringing the good news of the kingdom. Luke chapter 9, verse 11. When the crowds learned it, they followed him, and he welcomed them and spoke to them of the kingdom of God and cured those who had need of healing. So if you would have been in the synagogue at this particular place over 2,000 years ago, what do you think Jesus may have been teaching about in the synagogue that day? You can answer now, by the way. It would be the kingdom of God. And... And um, broadly speaking, the kingdom of God uh, is referenced to the rule and the kingship of God over all of the universe for all of eternity. In Psalms 103, verse 19, we read, The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. So one dimension of the kingdom of God is God's sovereign rule, rule over everything that God has created. Um, in, yet, yet in Genesis chapter 1, God creates the world and he declares everything is good. But then something very interesting happens. As, uh, as God rules by appointing those who were created in his image, human beings, to supervise and uphold his rule and his glory. And I, I would call this the personal dimension of the kingdom of God. God's personal reign over the individual lives of human hearts submitting to God's rule. But then we get to Genesis chapter 3, the third chapter in the Bible, and those who were entrusted to live out and implement God's kingship and rule in the world that God has created, they disobeyed God, thinking that somehow they could usurp God's rule and glory and find an even greater glory in themselves by going after their own rule and kingship. And what happens is that the image of God and those that God had created in his image to live out and uphold God's kingship in this world for God's glory, in their disobedience, the image of God in humanity gets corrupted. And since part of being created in the image of God is to share in the eternal quality of God who is the creator, this corruption in the image of God, of humanity, is an eternal corruption. And, and that corruption of the image of God in human beings' lives, I believe, is fundamental to understanding Jesus' teaching on the kingdom of God. Because before sin came into the world, the uncorrupted image of God 
of those that God created to live according to his, and, and uphold his rule and his kingship, that uncorrupted image of God produces peace, hope, and love in the world in which they lived, but it was that image that was corrupted by rejecting God's kingship and rule. And so that corruption and brokenness that it produced has been passed down to every human being from every generation ever since. Um, And so the outcome is there is now a marred and corrupted image of God and it does not produce things like peace, hope, and, 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 and joy. Instead, it produces conflict and violence and arrogance and abuse and jealousy and strife and crime and lies and social sin and sexual sin and spiritual sin and cutting remarks, hurtful words, aggression, assault, oppression, bigotry, self-hate, self-promotion, self-centeredness, disease, depression, dysfunction, and death. Some people call that that the present reality. Some call it the old creation, the present age, the kingdom of this world that's been corrupted. And and, and the hope that we find in the Bible is that the God who created us uh, does not destroy and does not just abandon this creation that's been corrupted by sin. I mean, what we read in the Bible is that God so loved the world, this corrupted, broken world. He loved the world so much that he sent his only begotten son. And so I want to use some imagery that I adapted from another pastor, but if you could put the the slide up here. Um, uh, God's, um, uh, I, I think we're apt to think Uh, that when it comes to the kingdom of God, that there's a kingdom of this world that's been corrupted, then there's the kingdom of God that is holy. (laughs) You know, one is the uh, the old creation, the other is the new creation. And that the purpose of Christianity is to get people from the kingdom of the world uh, to the kingdom of God one day, like when they die or when Jesus comes again. But I think a better image, and if you'd go to the next slide, yeah, I think a better image... (laughs) is is that God's kingdom has actually invaded this broken, corrupted kingdom of the world. He's come to us in the person of Jesus Christ. And and, and so uh, the kingdom of God is not just coming one day when we die or when Jesus comes again, but the kingdom of God has actually come. And, uh, And so in as much as the kingdom of God has come, you, can, you and I can be part of the kingdom of God even today. Even though we still may live in the kingdom of the world physically, we can be part of the kingdom of God. And the, the way it puts it in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, is Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God, proclaiming the good news of God, and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is what? At hand. You know, repent and believe the gospel. Jesus doesn't say repent and believe so you can go to the kingdom of God one day. Jesus said the kingdom of God is here. And and, and the hand of God has come to us, you see. His kingdom has come to us. And so repent of your self-rule, turn away from that, and, and, and now trust in and believe in Christ as the king and submit yourself to him. 
Now, it doesn't mean that there is not a future fulfillment or a future consummation uh, of the kingdom of God. There is. I mean, there, there's even words in the Bible like, eye has not seen and ear has not heard the things that God has prepared for, the, uh, you know, for, for those who, who love him. And, and so there's, there's going to be this great consummation one day. Um, you know, what we experience today as we live in this broken world, in these physical bodies that we have, uh, it, it's only just a beginning of what the kingdom of God, I mean, it's going to be. And so while we wait for the fullness of the kingdom of God to be revealed, God's call is to repent and believe the good news of Jesus Christ today. Embrace Jesus as king, even though we live in a sinful, fallen world. And when we embrace Jesus Christ, we, we, we still live in this world, but we are truly not citizens of this world. We're kingdom of God, citizens. We have Jesus as our Savior and Lord. We've been forgiven before God. We, we have a future hope that God, uh, of the consummation of the kingdom, but, but we're not yet fully like him yet. We're still in process. You know, we've been clothed with Jesus' perfect righteousness, <laughs> Um, and, 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 and we've been given God's spirit to transform us, but in this world, we're still in process. And we still sin sometimes. But we're, again, we're, we're covered by his blood. And one day, Jesus will come again, and on that day, we will be changed, and then we'll be completely like him, and we'll forever be in the, in, in, in the magnificence of what the kingdom of God really is for all of eternity. The way Paul taught about this in Colossians chapter 1, verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the kingdom, uh, excuse me, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. He, it, it, it's like he's already transferred us in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. So when we come to faith in Jesus Christ and, and trust in him for our forgiveness before God, who is holy, through his death on the cross, we realize that, that Jesus lived the perfect life, but when he died as the perfect sacrifice, he took the very wrath of God on, on our sin. And, and not only that, but it, as, as he raises from the dead, he is the Lord of lords, and he is the King of kings. And so... We have redemption, it says, and the forgiveness of sin. Redemption means to buy back something that's been lost. And what we've lost in our, in our corruptedness and sinfulness is we've lost our place in the kingdom of God. And, and what we have redeemed through Jesus is, is we're brought back into the kingdom of God that, that we've been lost from. Okay, so Jesus is the Savior King, and through him, we can be part of his eternal kingdom. And so now let's go back to Luke chapter 13, and I want to I I go back over the text. And it's like, as I read through the text, and then I read through the text, and I read through the text, it was like, after a little while, there was this one thing that just keep, kept burning in my heart, and that is this, the kingdom of God is here. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. It's here already through Jesus. Back when I was in seminary, I had a pastoral care class. And um, one of the things that they asked me, ask the students to do is to write up a, uh, a report on, 
a, 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 a thing uh, or, or an experience of pastoral care that happened in your, min, you know, like my ministry. And so I chose this. I was at a little country church, a small town church, and um, <clears throat> we had a, a piano player who um, uh, was older, and uh, she was widowed, and she'd lived alone a long time, and she was slipping mentally. And um, it made the worship services really difficult because she couldn't, she didn't have it all together anymore. Uh, but the problem was she didn't know that. And so what we did as a solution is we made several changes at once in the church. And some of those changes, it, 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 uh, it took away some of uh, her responsibilities and, and gave them to some others, but it didn't just completely you know, release her forever. But it also brought the opportunity to have some conversations with her just about her life and her health and how she was doing. And, and when it all came down, we were able to make the changes without hurting someone very bad. And, and I thought relationships had grown in that and we had a good foundation to go forward. And so I shared that in class and um, we discussed it in class. And then the professor said something kind of like this. He, he, he picked out a couple things that had happened and he said, I can really see these things that you did as being Christ-honoring and very biblical in the way that you approached that. To which I said, yeah, but I think, you know, there was this and there was that, and I think I could have done this better. And all of a sudden, he, he said this. He goes, Jim. And it's like, got my attention. And he said, just say thank you. And, you know, it's like, I had totally missed that affirmation that was directed toward me. I kind of see this kind of thing happening in Luke chapter 13. Way back in Luke chapter 1, Luke is writing this guy called Theophilus, and, and, and you got these 12 chapters of all these things about who Jesus is and the ministry of Jesus Christ. And, and then there's this theme that's just been hammered home to us that there's no neutrality in him. And now as it goes back to the main theme about the, the kingdom of God, it's like he's saying, hey, Theophilus, Jesus is the, this Jesus that we've been talking. He's the king and his kingdom is here. Don't miss it. Don't miss it. Verse 10, now he was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath, verse 11, and behold, there was a woman who had a disabling spirit for 18 years. When it says behold, it means take note of this. She's got this, this, this disabling spirit. She's not demon-possessed, but she is uh, Satan-oppressed, okay? She has this disabling spirit. And, 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 and it says behold, She's at the synagogue, and, and I, I think that's something to take note of. She, she's got some real issues and problems and disappointments in her life, but where's she at? She's at the synagogue. She's not giving up on God. And another thing that we learn about her here is that somehow she made it there. They didn't have cars. They didn't have buses. It says that she is bent over. I mean, uh, you know, uh, how, how's it put it here? She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. And yet, yet she had made the effort to get there because she still wanted to learn God's word. And so, behold, she, she's there. 
And, and, and then it says in verse 12 that Jesus calls her over and says to her, Woman, you were freed from your disability. And he laid hands on her, and immediately she was made straight, and she glorified God. You see, Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God. Every healing and casting out of demons and every blind person that could see and the lame that could walk, they're all glimpses of what the kingdom of God is really like. And they're also affirmations that Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God, and in Jesus the kingdom is here. And, 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 and that's why, in, in, by, the, by the way, that, that's why in Luke chapter 4, the first time Jesus goes to a synagogue in the book of Luke, he, he reads from the scripture from the book of Isaiah chapter 61, and it says this, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and to set at liberty those who are oppressed and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then it's like he folds up the, the scroll and everybody's looking at him and he says, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God. And every miracle of freeing up oppressed people and every healing of the afflicted is another piece of evidence that the kingdom of God has already come in Jesus Christ. Now, while, while all this is going on and this woman is glorifying God over the king touching her life, uh, it, it says in verse 14 that there was a synagogue ruler. And you might think the synagogue ruler would be all fired up. Man, the power of God has fallen on my synagogue. But he's not. You know, it says, but the ruler, this is verse 14, but the ruler of the synagogue, indignant, he's angry, hopping mad, because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath and said to the people, and so he said to the people, there are six days in which Work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed, but not on the Sabbath day, okay? So, so uh, he's the ruler of the synagogue. His job is to make sure everything goes right in the synagogue. And there's been all this controversy over Jesus healing on the Sabbath, and we, we've learned about it as we've gone through Luke. And, and so he knows you're not supposed to heal on the, the Sabbath because that's what the religious leader says. I mean, this is just a messed up, situation that's going on here. He doesn't go to Jesus, you know, and say, hey, I don't like what you're doing. No, he goes to all the people, and he says, look, man, if you want to get healed, come on a different day, but don't come on the Sabbath day. On the Sabbath day, we're going to do this other stuff, okay? Well, and I can, I can hear people saying, amen, we're not going to have any of this wrong healing on the Sabbath. Verse 15, then the Lord answered him, you hypocrites, it's plural, so there was not just him. And then, he, and then he says, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? And ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan has bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? It's like Jesus is not letting up. You compassionately care uh, about your barnyard animals and, and, and you would take the effort to untie them and, and get them to where the water is that they need, you know. And, and you would say, well, that's consistent with Sabbath day laws. But when a person, a woman, this woman who, 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 who's, who's a descendant of Abraham, 
And she's been afflicted by an oppressive, disabling, satanic spirit. And then she gets miraculously set free. And, and now she has the freedom to stand up and walk. And, 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 and everyone is glorifying God. You know, are you tell, do you have the audacity to say to me that that's not according to God's law of what we ought to be doing on the name that bears God's name? Are, are, you know, the, the, the special day that he gave us? Are you saying that we should have more compassion on animals being fed than people being set free and transformed by the power of God's spirit on the day that God has set aside for his own glory? Well, Jesus basically called this guy out, but I think it was out of love. And he's saying you're a hypocrite because you're elevating your religious rules and traditions above the very spirit of God. And you're missing the kingdom of God, and it's right here. You're missing it. And I think it's true. They were more concerned with their religious rules and what the religious leaders might think who had already determined you're not supposed to heal on the Sabbath day. More concerned about that than the fact that the power and the spirit of God was right there among them in the person of Jesus Christ, and they were missing him. You know? What's going to glorify God more than somebody being set free of a disabling, oppressive spirit and people worshiping God for God's mercy and God's, God's power? It's like Jesus is calling them out. It says that... He, he said all these things. Uh, this is in verse 17. He said all these things, and all his adversaries were put to shame, and all the people rejoiced at the glorious things that were done by him. And I want you to remember the big idea. In Jesus, the kingdom of God has come. Don't miss it. Don't, don't, don't miss it. Um, when... Gene and I first moved to Springfield. Um, of course, we were looking for a house, and one of the things that we did is we went to this house that was being sold by an owner, and she had her own uh, open house. And, um, and so we were there, and we looked around, and she had it all set up really nice. And then everybody had gone, and it was just Gene and me and, and the owner of the house. And so I looked at her and, um, and, and basically said, uh, why are you moving away? And this was her answer. She said, there's too many church people and too many Trump people in this town. That's what she told me. And I started laughing, actually. I said, well, I'm one of those church people. I said, actually, I'm a pastor moving to town. And that kind of gave us this, this, this interesting conversation. And she, she opened up to me, and she started telling me about the way that her father approached religious matters and how wounded she got from that. And we had this really sweet conversation about not letting someone else or someone else's experiences of, of their religious traditions, don't let those things keep you from a relationship with that God has for you in his son, Jesus Christ. The kingdom of God's here. Don't miss it because of preconceived ideas about religion or about how other people want to live out their religious thoughts. Don't let that cause you to miss the kingdom of God. Luke chapter 13, verse 18. He said, therefore, what's the kingdom of God like? What shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and it became a tree, and the birds of the air made its nest in its branches. 
Now, this teaching is don't let what you currently see of the kingdom of God that might not look very impressive to you, don't let that cause you to miss the kingdom of God or fool you about what the kingdom of God really is in all of its magnificence. Don't let what you currently see of the kingdom of God deceive you about the power and influence that the kingdom of God is ultimately going to have. And one other way to put that is don't underestimate the power and the glory of God's kingdom just because you can't see it right now. A mustard seed is a pretty small seed. It's not very impressive. But he talks about it being a garden seed. If you plant a mustard seed in your garden where you're trying to grow, grow squash and beans and tomatoes, it's going gonna, it's gonna to actually, uh, it's going to be amazing. If you put that, yeah, that, I mean, a mustard seed, is my understanding, it can grow like 20 feet wide and, and it can grow like 20 feet high. And, and, and can you imagine that? You know, you got, your little, you got your little bean plant next to it, you know? By the way, uh, Matthew even goes so far as to say, it's the smallest of your garden seeds. It's just a little seed. doesn't look like much. Uh, what is, okay, so here's what it says in Luke 13, 18. What is the kingdom of God like? And, and to what shall I compare it? It's like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree. And the birds of the air made their nest in it. The point is, the kingdom of God is growing. It might look small, it was just one woman, it, it, one isolated woman in this, in this isolated synagogue. Yeah, she got transformed that day. But I'm supposed to change my life over that? You know? The kingdom of God is growing. It might start out small, but it's going to be no small matter. It will one day, the kingdom of God will one day show itself to be a new heaven and a new earth. And it will have people from every nation, every ethnicity, every people group, all throughout history, all those who have repented and turned to Jesus Christ as king, truly, that they'll all be around the throne. They'll be praising and worshiping Jesus as the risen Lord and the king of kings forever. And, and, and he's the one who lived the perfect life. He's the one who died for our sins. He's the one who is the king of the kingdom of God and we will be with him and we will be regenerated in a way that we can't even grasp right now and we'll be with him forever and we'll be in this kingdom that's prepared and, and, and he calls us joint heirs with Jesus. We'll have, we'll have the inheritance that's prepared for a perfect son of God and we're not perfect but we get to be part of it for all of eternity. Uh, yeah, might look little now. It's going to be magnificent. It will not be missed. And then there's this part about the birds, and it, and it grew, and it became a tree, and the birds made their nest in it. And I was, I was studying through this, and I was looking at some of the commentaries, and there's all these ideas about what the birds are, and, and, and all these speculations. And I went into Brandon, and I said, man, Brandon, there is all these, all these things about the birds. And Brandon looked at me, and he said, you know what? I, I look at it and see... Man, in a garden, uh, you know, this magnificent tree that you can have a bird put a nest in it? That's pretty impressive. I thought, man, I'm glad I work with Brandon. You know? Because no matter what this whole thing about the birds is, you know, the truth is still the same. The kingdom of God, though, 
Though it may start out small and even look small to us, it's growing and it's going to become magnificently incredible. And be rest assured, you will not miss it. There's coming a day that even those who reject the kingdom of God, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. The kingdom cannot be missed. Second parable, um, Luke 13, 20. And again, he said, to what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. And so the mustard seed is to remind us of the outward growth of the kingdom of God and its magnificence. But here, the leaven is talking about to us about the inward transformative influence of the kingdom of God. And again, some look at the leaven, and because leaven is often used in Scripture for that which is unholy and even that which is sinful, they think, well, that's what it must be here. But here's my, be- and you study it out, but here's my best understanding of this text. And that is that within this context, the emphasis is on the permeating power of leaven, not its morality or holiness. And so the kingdom of God here is like a new seed, a sinless seed, the power of the Holy Spirit at work, transforming people by hidden influence. And you might not be able to see it, but it's unstoppable in its transformation. The woman hid. You couldn't see it. The leaven and three measures of flour, like 50 pounds. You know, you might not be able to see it, but the transforming power of God's spirit is unstoppable. So on the one hand, the kingdom of God might be so small, might look to you so small and obscure that you would be apt to miss it, but don't forget, it's going to grow, and you will not miss it, especially in eternity. You know, and, and then, you know, this whole kingdom of God is so powerful that we might not see it working right now, but it's at work just like leaven, and it is... It is God's unstoppable force, so don't miss it. Don't let preconceived ideas of what you think the kingdom of God ought to be like or or your estimation of how impressive you think the kingdom of God ought to look, don't let those things cause you to miss it. Man, in Jesus' day, people were missing Jesus as king. They, they all had, a lot of people had this conception that a king would have armies and they'd have chariots and a palace and all this kind of stuff. Jesus didn't have that. When Jesus was arrested, Pilate, the governor, asked him, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus said, you have said so. In John chapter 18, it said that Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were of this world, my servants would be fighting. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, people miss Jesus as king. Pilate presented Jesus to the religious leaders of, 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 the, of, the, of the day in, 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 uh, in Judea. And, and they said, we have no king but, but Caesar. They weren't even talking about God anymore. You know, when, when he presented him to the soldiers, the soldiers looked at Jesus. And they mocked him and they beat him and they said, hail, king of the Jews. And then they put an inscription over him to mock him as he was on the cross. And that inscription read, Jesus of Nazareth, King of the Jews. You know, nobody thought that he was a, really a king. He wasn't the kind of king they expected. And they missed it. But in Jesus, the kingdom of God is here. Don't miss it. You see, don't miss it. It's like a mustard seed that'll grow. 
It might not look all that great right now, but, but man, it is going to be in all of its magnificence one day. It might see like, seem like, you know, nothing's really happening, but that transformative power of the Holy Spirit is working in the kingdom in ways that are unstoppable. Don't miss it. Okay, so here's the last thing. It's not only possible to miss God's kingdom due to our own religious traditions or fears or, or affiliations. It's not only possible to miss God's kingdom due to our misconceptions of what we think it ought to be. It's in Jesus. But it's possible to miss God's kingdom because we just never enter it. Look at verse 22. He went on his way through the towns and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. And someone said to him, Lord, will those who are saved be few? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, you will begin to stand outside and knock at the door, saying, Lord, open to us, and he will answer to you. I do not know where you are come from. Uh, and, and so uh, one of the things that I wanted you to notice here um, is, that, is that there is a door to salvation. You know, they came to Jesus and said, how many people are going to be saved? It's like, you're, man, the way you're talking here might not, not be very many. Jesus, Jesus he, he kind of doesn't answer that question. He just turns it around. He says the real issue is not how many people are going to be saved. The real issue is, what about you? Are you in the kingdom of God? Have you missed it? <laughs> you know, or not? And, and, and so he starts talking about this door of salvation. And um, it's interesting, the door of salvation is the door of God's kingdom. Because if you go down to verse 28, it, it's talking about those who are, who are not in the kingdom... And, and, and in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God. And so the door of salvation in verse, what is it, about 24, 24 is, the, is the same as the kingdom of God because it, it identifies it in verse 28. And so the door of salvation is the, by the way, it is the door, the narrow door. It's not a door. It's not like there's several of them. It's the door of salvation. There, there's no other entrance. There's no other window or anything. No other door. By the way, in Acts chapter 4, there's a, 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 a record of a sermon that Peter preached, and he preached it to some of the religious leaders of Israel about their rejection of Jesus, and he said this in Acts 4.12, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven among which men must be saved. There's one door of salvation in Jesus. Jesus himself said in John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. One narrow door. <laughs> when I was in Jeff City, I, had, uh, I was a pastor there and had a friend, pretty, really probably one of my best friends, uh, and he was a colonel in the Missouri National Guard, so he's full-time, uh, you know, just under brigadier general. So this guy was pretty high up there. And um, he used to invite me out to the military base to go to lunch with him sometimes. And when I drove up, there's this big fence and barrier around the whole area. And um, you come up to this one gate, 
and um, that's where you drive in. And, and of course, there's a guard there, and you pull up, and he says, what are you here for? Well, I'm here to see the colonel. And then he says, what's your name? And I say, Jim Walker, and he looks on the list to see if my name's there, and if it is, then he says, uh, okay, well, let, let me see your ID to make sure he, I am who I say I am. So he checks my ID, and then this big gate opens up, and you can drive through, and, and he said, now go over there to that, and you walk in the door. So you go over, and you park, and you walk up to the door, and then there's a buzzer on the door. You can see the people in there. But there's a buzzer on the door. Buzz the door, here to see the colonel. What's your name? Jim Walker. They look on their list, make sure I'm on the list. Then they buzz the door. You know, and you open the door and you go in, and now there's this big counter, and then these other two big doors. And um, you go up to the counter, there's two people there. They say, uh, We want to see your ID to make sure that I am who I say that I am. So you give them the ID, they give you a little visitor card, and then they get up from their desk, come around, take you over to one of the big doors, and you go to the door and they put in their little code, and the door opens, and they go through the door and then they escort you back to where the colonel is. <laughs> Finally get to the colonel and then he says, oh, glad, oh, glad to see you. And, um, and so now we go out of the office and down the hall, out the door, through the courtyard to this cafeteria. And one day I was sitting in that cafeteria and here's what I'm thinking. There is no way I'd be in this cafeteria if it wasn't for the colonel. And, you know, I wonder what it'll be like when we're, you know, in the in the eternal part of, of uh, you know, the, the after, after this world part of the kingdom of God, if we'll ever sit around in the kingdom and think, there is no way I would be in this kingdom for God's perfect son if it weren't for Jesus Christ. I wouldn't be here. There's one narrow door. And it's, and it's narrow. So he says in verse 24, strive to enter through the door. For many, I tell you, will seek to enter and not be able. There's a door to go through, but it's narrow. How do you go through a wide door? You go through a wide door any way you want to, right? You go through your wide door with your arms out. You can go through a wide door with a Mack truck, okay? How do you go through a narrow door? Oh, man. You know, you got to kind of... He says, strive to enter the narrow door. He's not talking about work salvation. The very fact that the door is there is by the grace of God, and it's through Jesus Christ who came to this world instead of just destroying it in his sin. And he, and he comes, and he, he provides himself as the sacrifice, and he's the risen king, and there is a door, but it's narrow, and we have to strive to enter. And, and, and what the striving is, is it's submitting to the dimensions of the door. It says, it says in Mark chapter 1, verse 15, And Jesus came to Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. What is the dimensions of the door that God puts there by grace through Jesus Christ? The dimensions is repentance and faith. And, and, and so the way that we submit to the dimensions of the door is by repenting, by turning away anything that would turn us away uh, from, from knowing Jesus as king. We turn away from those things that we have been depending on, my religion, my good works, and maybe, maybe, maybe that'll make me good enough for God. No, I lay all that aside, and I come, and I, and I grab onto a new truth, and that's what repentance is, is grabbing onto a new truth that changes our life. And I believe Jesus is the king, and, 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 I, and I trust in him. I trust my life to him. I trust my eternity to him. I trust the direction of my decisions to him. He's my king. That's the dimensions. Imagine a scuba diver in a cave and, uh, you know, finally radios up top. 
I'm lost in this cave and I don't know what to do. And one of the people says, hey, I've been down there. I think I know where you are. Uh, there's this little opening. Do you see it over here? He says, I see it, but I can't get through it. He said, you're going to have to get through it because that's the only way you can go. I can't get you out any other way with the amount of air that you have. And, and, and he, says, he says, but I can't get through it. I'd have to take my tank off. And he goes, exactly. You take, you take off that which you were depending on and you go through that little narrow, narrow strip and then you just go and you surface and you'll be fine. Repentance and faith. Letting go of everything that we've ever trusted in. Grabbing onto the new truth that Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God through his resurrection and trusting all to him. The other, the other truth that's here is one day the door will be shut and when it is, it's shut. It's not going to be open again. It's a tragic scene, verse 25. When once the master of the house has risen and shut the door, you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us and he will answer you. I do not know where you are from. Can you imagine the tragic scene? There'd been people, they, they knew about Jesus, they knew that he was a king, uh, they, they'd heard his message, they'd been interested, but they'd never really turned their life to him and embraced him by faith as their, as their king. And so they come up and they say, let us in. And he says, I don't even know who you are. You're not one of mine. It says in verse 26, and then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and taught in our streets. But, but he will say to them, I do not know where you are from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God that you yourselves cast out. Just the fact that you had intended to do some things doesn't mean that you're part of the kingdom of God. Just because you had had exposure to Jesus and his message doesn't mean that you're part of the kingdom of God. Just because you had some interest in spiritual matters and even studied his word doesn't mean that you're part of the kingdom of God. Now, have I really let go of everything else and trusted in the truth that Jesus is the king of the kingdom of God? And have I received him? Have I embraced him as my king and my savior? Three applications today. If you have never personally embraced faith in Jesus Christ, and you're thinking about things, and you're processing some things, that's what the church is for, to, 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 to come beside you in that journey, to realize Jesus is truly your king. And, and if you're here today and you've been saying, well, I'm just waiting for him to call me, well, let me read to you verse 24. Strive to enter by the narrow door. You know, it's like it's, like it's right there. That's a command in the Bible. I, strive to enter by the door. Repent. Believe. You know, if you're waiting for a call, there it is. There it is, right there. But hear the warning, verse 26, when once the master of the house has risen and shut the door and you begin to stand outside and to knock at the door saying, Lord, open to us, then he will answer you, I do not know where you are from. Um, okay, if you believe that you've entered God's kingdom, yeah, I, I believe I have, but I'm not living with Jesus as Lord, I want to warn you today. And, and this just comes from my heart. Because interest in Jesus Christ, exposure to meetings where his people are, even interest in studying his word, that is not the same as embracing Jesus by faith as your king and your Lord.
And if you know you've just wandered away from him, well, just come home. But be careful if you're saying, oh, yeah, I'm a believer that he's no longer my king. Religious activity and true salvation are two different things. If you're here and you know you're part of God's kingdom, yes, you're still in process becoming who all of who he's created you to be. You have the presence of the Holy Spirit. He's working in you, but you know you're still a work in progress. But you know you're part of the kingdom. I want to remind you today, the door's still open. And so let's keep giving our lives to him who went around proclaiming the kingdom of God and told his people to go proclaim the kingdom of God. Let's be like those people who continue to proclaim the kingdom of God. Let's not give up on it just because we've come into the kingdom of God. Let's bring as many as we can. Or let's at least tell people. And people came as they told people the kingdom of God by God's grace. And God's work, and people will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south and recline at table in the kingdom. It's, it's an honor to be part of God's kingdom. And, and it's like uh, one of the images that the Bible gives us is sitting at the banquet table of God in the kingdom of God. And it's like, you know, you know your home, you're, you're in the home and you're at the table and you're invited and you're wanted and you're there and included. Well, to celebrate that hope, Jesus left us an ordinance to continue to practice as a church as we come around what's called the Lord's Table. And in the Old Testament, the Jewish people would come to the Passover feast and celebrate God's salvation as they left Egypt and the, and the captivity. And in the New Testament, believers in Jesus Christ come to the Lord's Table and we celebrate God's salvation from sin and death and our entrance into his new kingdom. And we get to celebrate this until he comes again. We remind ourselves in the bread that he came for us and brought the kingdom of God to us as the perfect sacrifice. And in the cup, we remember he did give the sacrifice for our sins and he's our risen Lord and he's ours and we're his and where Jesus is, that's where the kingdom of God is. And we're not missing it. And we thank God for that at the Lord's table. So during the the, the song that we're getting ready to sing, if the musicians want to come, during the song, uh, I invite you to go to the different stations and get your bread and get your cup, and then please come back and uh, don't don't eat the bread or drink the cup. Let's just wait and bring it back to our seats, and after the song, we'll eat the bread and drink the cup together. And if you're here today and you want to talk to somebody about the kingdom of God, it's like, that's what's utmost on your heart. Just grab somebody. Talk to them about it. Talk to them about what it means to be in the kingdom of God. If you just need to pray with somebody during this time, go pray with them. Um, I know Brandon's here. I'm here if you just want to talk to somebody or pray with somebody. Um, but let's, uh, let's pray before we go and grab the, the bread and the cup. Father, thank you for your word today. And I just want to humbly thank you that there is a door to the kingdom of God, and it's through Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you, God, that even today, hearing the word, strive to enter by the narrow door is a reminder that you're calling us even this day. And that's a good call. That's a good call. Thank you that you're not leaving us out. And we pray this in Jesus' name.